Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. a random person in this community, what is Shadron Berean Church known for? What do you think they would say? Scary thought? What are we known for in our community? Our name, I think, implies, at least obviously to us, that we want to be known as a people of the word. That's our roots. We want to be people of God's Word. Our history, as we've been looking at in our Sunday school the past couple of weeks, is with the once incredibly noble fundamentalist movement that was standing on God's Word in an era when mainline Protestant liberalism was causing churches and Schools to just drop off a cliff as they rejected the authority of God's Word. So we want to be known as a people of the Word. We also want to be known for being a people that loves Jesus and that makes Him known. We've looked at the past month how we want to be known as a people who pray, a people of prayer. But there's one thing that we don't often think about that I think we should want to be known for, and this is something that's going to turn heads and make people think, what is with those people over there? Why are they so different? And that is generosity. Are we known for being a generous people? That's what we want to discuss this morning as we revisit our theme For this year of Created to Worship, we are going to look at generosity as worship. So far in this theme, we've talked about what worship is. We've looked at how we become like what we worship. We talked about idolatry in that message. And how each of us has a different worship temperament. There's different ways That we worship. It is more than just singing a song on Sunday morning at a church service. And generosity is one of those ways that we worship. Now, naturally, I'm a bit hesitant or low key when it comes to talking about money in church. And I think that's because of the televangelists and church scandals out there who seem to talk about money all the time. You know, quarter percent of their programming is, give us money, sow your seeds here, and God will bless you. And we certainly don't want to be associated with that, do we? False teachers are known for fleecing their flocks, not feeding their flocks. 
So that's one of the reasons we shy away from money in church, at least talking about it. But I also think that because of that, it's easy to go to the opposite extreme and and not talk about money at all. And it just sort of creates this, this vacuum that leaves people without a biblical understanding on how to handle their money God's way. And we end up with a lot of consumers instead of givers. This is an incredibly important topic because it's a resource that we use daily. And we get to glorify daily God with our precious resources that He gives us. And the Bible talks about money and giving a lot. Jesus talked about money and possessions more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. The Bible talks about prayer, references prayer about 500 times. And we know how important that is, but it talks about things like possessions 2,000 times. It's kind of surprising, isn't it? Why is that? Well, because... Money and possessions are directly tied to our hearts, to our worship. That's the most important thing. It's what we were created to do, is to worship God. Jesus made the point that in our greed, and he said, beware, watch out, when he's talking about greed, because it's subtle. But he says to watch out for greed because in our, in our search for security, in our search for satisfaction, we can start to live for money and possessions. And he said life is not, does not consist of, you're not going to find life in money or possessions. And he said where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. So beware of letting your heart live at the bank. <clears throat> what we do with our Time and talents and treasure is a telling sign of where our hearts are at with God. We might say that we have a heart for something. I'm all about this cause or that cause. Maybe it's fighting abortion. Maybe it's taking a stand against human trafficking. Maybe it's whatever it is. We say that We have a heart for these things. But if we're not investing our resources in it, our time, our talent, and treasure, are we really, we really have a heart for that? And so the message of the New Testament so often is put your money where your mouth is. Put your time where your mouth is. Walk the walk. Talk. Don't just talk the talk. By not... uh, Investing in these things, we're giving evidence of whether we're basically, we're giving an indication of whether we practice what we say we believe based on how we use these, our time and talents and treasures. It's a, how we spend these resources are a gauge on our spirituality. And so from 2 Corinthians 8 this morning, we're going to look at several principles related to giving. And we're going to study the example of two first century churches and their 
giving. So let's look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. First, we see the example of a generous church. Not necessarily rich, but generous. Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, we make known to you <clears throat> the grace of God which has been given the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul from Macedonia. Macedonia is located in northern Greece. It's the northern territory in Greece. And the churches of Macedonia would be Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica. And he's writing to the Corinthians down in Achaia, which is down in the, the Peloponnese and peninsula there, uh, Corinth, down closer to Athens. And Paul writes this letter mainly because he was informed by Titus that the church in Corinth had been infiltrated by false teachers who were turning the congregation there against Paul. They claimed that Paul was anti-Jewish and anti-Mosaic law, and in the process, they hindered a monetary collection that was being taken uh, for the saints in Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem at this point in time had gone through persecution Remember, Paul was one of them, and they had gone through a famine. And so the church at Jerusalem had grown by this time to be impoverished. And so Paul's asking these Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia to take up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem to bless them. He's trying to stir up their generosity, to take care of one another. And so Paul writes to refute the false teachers, to reestablish these believers in the glory of the new covenant. Don't go back to the old covenant. Stick with the new covenant. That's where you'll find life and blessing. And he writes to see it see to it that they fulfill their pledge as they promised one year ago. They said they were going to do this, and then the false teachers came in and hindered it, and now Paul's sending Titus back again to make this collection. And such an offering, you have to imagine, would uh, silence the thought that Paul was hostile to the Jews. The generosity of the, and the act of Paul in this is going to silence that, the idea that Paul's hostile to the Jews. Look, he's getting these Gentile churches to bless the Jews. And there's sort of this, uh, 
reciprocation there. Because as you see in Romans 15, the Jews have blessed the Gentiles spiritually. And the Gentiles now blessed the Jews, in this case, materially. So there's reciprocation there and, and unity within this international family of believers. The, the city and the church at Corinth had a mixed social stratum. Uh, there was poor and there was wealthy, just like most places today. But overall, it was a very wealthy place. It's kind of like the United States. We have a little bit of both, but overall, <laughs> we're in the 1%. We are incredibly wealthy. And this city was wealthy because it was located on a narrow isthmus. And wealth, there's a strait that runs through there. Actually, today you can drive a boat through there. A cruise ship can actually go through that canal from the Ionian Sea to the Aegean Sea. But they used to basically put, put boats on logs, actually, because they, it was hard and they couldn't chisel through that without dynamite. They couldn't complete that work until dynamite was invented. But they used to roll ships on logs across the land there rather than go all the way around the Peloponnese and Peninsula. And so this important trade route through there made Corinth a very wealthy place. They also held the Isthmian Games, which is sort of like the Olympian Games. Uh, They would do that every two years. People from all over the world brought... uh, came to this area, and that definitely created a lot of revenue, kind of like what's going on in Sturgis right now. Revenue coming in from all over the world in Sturgis. So this city became one of the most notable banking and finance centers in the Roman world. And to appeal to the well-off Corinthians to fulfill their pledge, he highlights the extraordinary example of the Macedonians in their giving. Uh, who, though impoverished due to persecution, contributed generously. He describes Macedonia's giving in verse 1 as the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia. Now, if you know anything about the church at Corinth, they loved the grace of God, didn't they? The charis of God. The grace is a word that's very diverse, you might say, and, and they're... A love of the charis of God was the spiritual gifts. They loved the spiritual gifts and boasted in them. But Paul's going to use the word grace here to say, you guys, you guys love the grace of God, great. Well, you need to shine in this grace of giving. Grace is an act of or giving is an act of grace. As well, actually the word grace comes up ten times in a couple of these chapters here in reference to giving, generosity. Paul views giving as an act of grace. It's a grace work. He calls it a work of grace. He says that despite the deep poverty and afflictions that the Macedonians experienced, they were overflowing in generosity. Isn't that a great word picture? overflowing. The Macedonians, they didn't have a big cup, okay? They had a little cup because they'd been through so much persecution. They didn't have a lot, but they were overflowing. They were brimming over in their generosity. They were content, and they said, let's bless these saints at Jerusalem. And they were incredibly Generous. I mean, Paul couldn't stop them from being generous. They were begging him. 
to be able to contribute to this offering. Kind of reminds us of the poor widow in the Gospels who had only two mites, a fraction of a cent for us. And Jesus says she put in more than everybody else because she gave not a portion but in proportion, basically. She gave out of her poverty. The Macedonians are the same way. They gave not only according to their ability, they gave beyond their ability. They begged him again to let them contribute. They were enthusiastic and selfless, even, we might say, reckless in their generosity. When's the last time you were reckless in generosity? That's tough. But they believed God was going to provide for them. I'm always on the lookout for healthy movies to watch. So when someone shared one recently, I looked it up. It was, it's called McFarland, USA. And uh, it's a true story about a high school football coach up in Idaho. And he gets fired for misbehavior. He gets a little too tense, a little, a little too hard on one of these kids. And he loses his job and this, this, this nice job up in Idaho. And he gets, basically, his only option was this small little Hispanic border town called McFarland. Uh, didn't pay well. Very poor town. Hispanic town down by the border. And so they did not feel comfortable there. As soon as they pulled in, they wanted to leave The nice house was gone. The nice salary was gone. They didn't speak Spanish. They didn't didn't feel safe. They felt way out of place, not to mention their last name was White. (laughs) That didn't help matters. But as time goes on, they start to fall in love with this community and how nice they are and generous they are and... He starts to put together this state championship track team. He gives up football and puts together a track team because he recognizes these kids are fast. They don't have cars. They run everywhere. And they're fast. And they do win the state championship. But at one point in his career there, there's a temptation to leave for another school that's a lot better off than they are. You know what I'm saying? And his daughter kind of gets caught in this gang rivalry, and the temptation is to leave because he gets an offer from this other nicer school, better salary, nicer neighborhood, safer place. And the wife basically leaves the decision up to him. And she says, honey, the decision's yours. Whether we leave and and take this job offer or not, she says, just promise me one thing, that you're not going to make this about our safety. Because I've never experienced family like this. It was powerful. That's the Macedonians. They didn't have much, but they were family. And they understood that family... Loving family community was so much more important than things and money. 
And that's Paul's heart in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He wants to foster that loving family of believers in these chapters and and through his act of grace here. But verse 5 reveals one of the main reasons why the Macedonians could be so generous. It says that they first, look at this, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. There's your act of worship right there. Giving is an act of worship. They gave themselves to the Lord. What does Romans 12, 1 through 2 say? Present your bodies as a holy and living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's exactly what the Macedonians did. And that's why they gave so generously, because they were not their own. They had given themselves to the Lord, which meant He owned them and He owns everything that they had. He owns their time, their talents, their treasure. And so giving is so much more than just monetary exchange. It's an act of worship. This is why we strategically this week, you might have noticed, put two new offering boxes outside our worship center doors on the north and the south side. We recognize, number one, that there was creating traffic jams at the one entrance on the north side. But secondly, because we want you to, and we didn't put them by the doors as you're leaving, thinking that, well, I'm just going to pay for a service. You don't want to develop that consumer mindset. We want you to come through these doors thinking of giving as an act of worship. You're coming to the worship center to, to worship, and you give as you're coming in, participating in the worship, not paying a fee on your way out. Does that make sense? We want to see giving as an act of worship. The Macedonians knew they were not their own. They knew anything they owned owned wasn't technically theirs. It was because God had given it to them. Even the breath we have in our lungs to work is it comes straight from God, right? And that's the foundational principle that we've got to lay down when it comes to giving and generosity it's understanding that god owns everything even me and i am simply a steward i steward his resources we'll never be generous people unless we understand that fundamental factor we have to see our time our talents and our treasure as a gift from god to be used for his purposes and so rather than asking ourselves do I want to give do I want to serve the question should be how or when does God want God want me to serve or give because I belong to him he's my boss I'm just the steward of these things sometimes we think that if we have a little bit more money or a little bit more time, then we'll be generous with it. I'll be generous with my time as soon as I'm out of college. I'll be generous with my money as soon as I get that next raise. Not going to happen. If you're not generous now, you're not going to be generous then. The greed in our heart is always crying out just a little bit more, isn't it? Like the guy who retired and said, I'm just going to eat and drink and be merry and I have all this money, I'm just going to build my barns bigger and then 
That night his soul was required of him. Just a little bit more kind of mindset. That's what's going on in our hearts. Just a little bit more. But we're missing out if we think that way because generosity produces joy. Nothing produces joy like generosity. The Macedonians, Paul says in verse 2, were joyful people. And the real statistics out there show that generous people are typically more joyful than those who aren't. And you're more likely to be miserable if you're not a generous person. So it is true, it's more blessed to give than receive, as Jesus said. Giving leaves both the giver and the receiver in a better state. Makes both people a little bit better. Leaves them in a better state. You know, when I think of... Well, you can think with me. Just reflect on your life and the ministry that you've been involved in. What are the moments that stand out to you? The moments that stand out to you are not the moments when you're, you're sitting at home in the lazy boy. The moments that stand out to you are the moments where you gave of yourself sacrificially. I can't help but think through our, you know, about five years here at this church. Going on five. When we made 400 sandwiches for firefighters. 400 sandwiches, just like that. Didn't take a lot of time, did it? Not with a dozen people or more. When we made cabbage burgers for our missionaries up it's a cabbage burger fundraiser for our missionaries up in Alaska or when we last fall trimmed a bunch of trees for people who couldn't do it themselves and then we in our care ministry we recited an entire garage in one morning for somebody isn't that awesome when I look back, those are the things that I think of. That's where you find the greatest joy. And so giving is a sacrifice, yes. Sometimes you do have to get up a little early, a little earlier than you want to, but, or give a little more than you thought you would. But it always, it's, ne- it's, it's always a sacrifice, but it's always such a great joy. There's always joy there, and then there's eternal reward. Because once that... Once it stops ticking, you know, think about that. There's no, there's no going back. There's no more time to invest. Let's think about now. How are we investing now? Because for all we know, God could require our souls tonight. Let's be busy now. Think about those eternal rewards. But unauthentic generosity also, also always surprises people, doesn't it? Who are these people that recited a garage? For somebody and paid for it. What kind of people do that, right? I mean, it's it's head turning. I was sitting in my office this week and someone, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon, someone comes in with a plate of food, tinfoil thing, a food casserole dish, and says, Here, this is for your family tonight. Enjoy a, a meal on us. 
And the first thing that came out of my mouth, I didn't even know I was preaching on this yet. I just went, wow. Like, you, you thought about us like that? Like, you guys just don't stop, do you, with your generosity? You guys are amazing. It was a couple that gave it to us. And, and it was appreciated because my wife's eight months pregnant, and we already have three kids. So she appreciated not having to make dinner that night. But that was incredible generosity. Generosity comes with a wow factor. It reminds people there is some good in this world. And in a dark world, it reminds us that there's hope. There's hope, and it just makes people think, wow, what, what makes them so different? It's winsome. It's contagious. It makes you want to be generous. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's telling the Corinthians about the Macedonians' generosity so that it'll stir up the Corinthians to love and good deeds as well. Let's look at that real quickly, the encouragement to be a generous church in verses 6 through 9. So we urged Titus... As he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, and speaking, and knowledge, remember they had all the spiritual gifts, in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you also excel in this gracious work. I'm not saying this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the insincerity of your love as well. So again, Titus, the previous year, began this collection, and Paul informs them, I'm sending Titus back, and and uh, you have the opportunity, if you want, to complete this collection, because Paul wants them fruitful. He wants them invested in the things that matter. But notice the language here that Paul's using. This is something that is up to them. Paul's not legislating giving in the church. He's not saying, you have to give this amount here or there. He's not commanding them. He's not exercising apostolic authority. He's appealing to them on the basis of their willingness in love. Complete this gracious work of your own free will in love. It's a choice. And that's what giving is. It's voluntary. As soon as giving becomes a rule or an obligation, or if there are pressure tactics involved, how many of you have been in a situation where they're pressuring you to give to something, some sort of cause? It's not fun to be a part of, is it? As soon as there's pressure, as soon as there's obligation, it seems like it's no longer an act of grace. It's not voluntary any longer. But that's what God wants. He wants generosity from the heart. He wants it to be voluntary and cheerful giving. Not, oh, I, did, I don't want to do this, but I have to. No, don't. if that's your attitude, don't even do it. Give cheerfully. In fact, there's no quantity given in the New Testament that says this is how much you have to give. In the Old Testament, there was the concept of the tithe, right? It's not even brought up in the New Testament. It's for us, the tithe being 10%. Israel would give 10% off the top. Their first fruits, they would, at times, they were giving more than 20% of, of what they brought in. In the New Testament, we don't have any sort of percentage that we're told to give. It just says to give cheerfully. 
I think the tithe is a good place to start, 10%, but we should challenge ourselves to give more and more and to sacrifice even beyond our means. I know some people who give their age, the older they get, they're giving that much. I'm going to give 55%, 56%, 57%. That's crazy. Not everybody can do that. But we should push ourselves. We should challenge ourselves. The last verse today yeah, some of you guys can't give 100%, right? <laughs> oh, anyway, the last verse for today gives us a powerful theological reason to give. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So the Macedonians, an example of amazing generosity, through and through, but Jesus Christ, Paul says, is the ultimate example. He became poor so that we might become rich. He became poor implies, think about this, that he once was rich in heaven. He pre-existed his birth and he became poor. He entered into this world poor, into a poor family, he lived, as far as we can tell, a meager life. At times, he had no place to lay his head. He asked for coins when he had to teach. He didn't have the money bag, I guess, and when he went to pay taxes, he just went fishing, pulled a coin out of a fisher's mouth, right? I wish God would let me pay my taxes that way. Just go fishing. Remember, he borrowed a rich man's tomb for three days. He became poor so that we might become rich in him. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, Paul says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The gift he's talking about is the gift of salvation. It's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. It's a gift you receive by faith, trusting in him who died for your sins. And I encourage you to call out to him today and receive that gift if you haven't already. You have to receive it. You can't pay for it. You can't work for it. It wouldn't be a gift anymore. But once you accept that gift, like I know so many of you have, it starts to change you, doesn't it? You start thinking more about His will, less about yours. He starts to make you generous just like He is. And we start to give because He gave. Giving flows naturally from hearts that have been touched by the grace of God. And generosity in an individual or a church culture is a sign that we've been touched by God's grace, that we know God's grace. Grace begets grace. Grace gives birth to grace, and we just imitate His generosity. Well, in summary, I want to ask that question again. What do we want to be known for as a church? And my prayer is that we would be known for being a people of prayer, a people of the Word, a people of that make Christ known, but also that we would be known for being generous. And I'm not saying that we aren't. I'm not preaching this sermon because we need to increase our pay payroll or anything like that. Actually, it's just the opposite. I'm, I'm amazed at how generous this church is. It is amazing that a church like ours can support 
all that we do, the missionaries, the organizations. When you give to this church, I want you to know this is not just to pay my salary. The giving is so much more beyond that to missionaries and organizations and, and, and outreach. And we should challenge ourselves to keep reaching out with the gospel. Let's excel in this area and foster, like Paul wants, a, a contagious culture of generosity to see it as a core value, more of a, a lifestyle than anything. One man said, when people in our churches have an encounter with the living God and are touched by His grace, we find no greater evidence of God's power than the existence of a culture of reckless generosity. Generosity like that is exceptional, it's unexpected, and it provides a clear witness to the transforming power of God. Again, people just look and go, what is up with them? What do they have? Whatever it is, I need it. And even though we've, we've been touched by grace, I know it's a challenge to be generous today, even reckless with generosity. Most of you are aware that in 2008, there was an economic crisis, recession hit. During that recession, churches responded in one of three ways. They either went into denial, they denied that it was even happening. They hunkered down, basically. They went into survival mode, number two started to hoard and started to tighten their budgets and, and pull back on things. Or, number three, churches saw it as an opportunity to help people who were hurting because of the situation that was going on. They saw it as an opportunity. So instead of retracting and playing it safe, they reached out and met real needs in love, and God continued to bless some of these churches beyond their ability. It's like the more they gave, the more God blessed. Because if you have a closed hand, you can't put anything in there. But if it's open, God can continue to give through you. And so that's what we want to be. I think there was a lot of uh, churches during that time that were made local and national news because they were so generous in a time like today when things were tough. And things are tough today, aren't they? Look at the gas prices. Look at the stock market. All of this stuff happening. Well, let's... Look at this time as an opportunity to advance God's purposes through generosity. Let's refuse to squander our time and talents and treasure and live for what's eternal. And keep having fun because giving monetarily is just plain fun, isn't it? It's just plain fun. It is. And as we take communion this morning... Let's remember how great God's gift of grace is in Christ. That's what we're reflecting on, his sacrifice for us, that indescribable gift. And let's renew our pledges. The Corinthians had to renew a pledge. And all of us who know Christ personally have probably taken a pledge as well. There was a point in time, I know, in your lives where at your baptism or somewhere else in some church service, you said, God, I am yours. But you might have forgotten that pledge. So let's renew that pledge. Let's live for him. Let's be fruitful. Live for the things that matter.